Let's turn to God's Word this morning. I would ask that you would turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. We're in a new series that we've entitled Living in the Light. And over the next couple of months, we are going to be studying what it means to live in the light of Jesus Christ, how to live in fellowship with God in this world of darkness. And I want you to take a moment, and I want to, if you will, uh, be transported just a block down to the jewel of Sugar Grove for a moment. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, Maybe uh, you find yourself standing outside uh, the door, maybe where you have seen for the last couple uh, months the Salvation Army bell ringer, And instead of ringing a bell, your job is to ask the question of everybody who comes out of the store, what is Christianity? What kind of responses do you think you might get? The person walks out and you ask the question, what is Christianity? Now there's no doubt that some would say it's a religious system. Still others may say it's a way of thought or a system of thought. Uh, Others may, because of some anger uh, due to uh, something that's happened in the past, uh, they may say that the church is a place of great uh, repression and and great uh, uh, legalism. Uh, And so they would then couple the church with Christianity. Uh, Still others may say that it's a following uh, after uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to then ask the question, and I would love to hear of testimonies of people that are willing to do this, to go stand at, at the corner there at Jewel and ask, who is Jesus Christ? What might be the answers that some will come up with? Some may say a great religious teacher. Still others may say a good spiritual man. Others may say that he was a lunatic and uh, had lost his mind and the things that he spoke about showed how crazy he really was. Others may say Jesus is the founder of Christianity and still others, maybe because they're involved in a church or themselves are followers of Christ, may say he is the son of God. But I would contend that probably many of them wouldn't be able to explain what that really means. Now you say, Tim, why, why this question? Why, why should we go around and ask these questions of people? Because in my understanding, and as I look at the world, there seems to be much confusion about Christ and Christianity. I told you last week that one out of every three people that walk the face of the earth call themselves Christians. And if that's the case, then First John says that they should be living in the light. And they should be following after the commands of God. And yet we see violence and we see war and we see uh, all kinds of sin, blatant and heinous sin, running rampant in our communities, in our world. How can one out of every uh, three people call themselves a Christian and live that way? I think it's because we have lost an understanding of what true Christianity is all about. To understand what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. It seems that in our world today, the devil works overtime to bring the world into confusion about this uh, idea of following Christ and living for Him. But yeah, this is something that the, the devil and the world have been fighting against for years. In 1 John, we see 60 years After Jesus walked the earth, after his resurrection, there were already people who were walking away from the faith 
because they had been bombarded with new teachings on Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. Notice for a moment in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. This is what John says smack dab in the middle of his letter to the church. He says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. One of the reasons why John writes this letter is because people had come into the church. Some of them had been in the church themselves and began to propagate a new idea of what Christianity and who Christ was and what it was all about. That's a lot like our world today. First John is just like the year 2010. Uh, not too long ago, I, I watched a uh, rerun of the Oprah Winfrey show. And she had her friend Eckhart Tolle on who uh, wrote the book The New Earth. And uh, this has been a real spiritual awakening for, for Oprah. And, and she talked about the new face of Christianity. And the new way of doing it, that the church and, and, and the religious system of Christianity had gotten it wrong and that we are to pursue what she called a new Christ consciousness. This is the type of stuff that was being dealt with in 1 John. And John begins uh, his letter by articulating what it means to be a true follower of Christ and what true Christianity is all about. I want you to write two things very quickly in your outline this morning that aren't in the outline. And, and that is that John is writing to us to accomplish two things. And I want you to remember this. Number one, he is writing to us that we may be biblically sound in the faith. Write that down somewhere. He wants us to be biblically sound in the faith. That's his first objective. And number two, then he wants us to be personally settled in the faith. To be biblically sound and then to be personally settled. So he starts to remind us about what true Christianity is all about. To accomplish that, he starts right away in verse 1. I'd ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at the first four verses of this incredible letter. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is what John says to the church. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us in the opening verses of this great letter. Father, that we would truly know what it means to follow you. That we would truly know what it means to worship you. That we would know what it means to be involved in true Christianity. Lord, what a waste of our time it would be if after all is said and done, uh, we did not truly uh, worship and truly be a part of who you are. Father, I would pray 
that our people here would be in a true relationship with you, following you and pursuing you, being sound in the faith and settled in their faith so that they may go and bring glory and honor to you by proclaiming, just as the apostle writes, so that our joy may be full. Lord, I pray that that would be a reality in our hearts and minds this morning. So open our eyes to what you have to say to us so that we will know what you want of us this morning. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. When you usually write a letter, you start with some opening thoughts and you ask, you know, hey, how are things going or some little small talk. But this is not what John does. Notice in verse 1 that there is no small talk. There is no opening remarks. There's no, hi, how are you? How is so-and-so? How is the economy over where you're at? No, he gets right down to business. And he wants to articulate what is of the greatest importance to him. I think that's a wonderful reminder for us as Christians because so many times as Christians in our fellowship with one another, we're involved in the small talk of the world. Oh, we'll throw in a little bit, an amen or a praise God here and there. But at the very base of our conversation, it's a sanctified uh, conversation about who's who in the world and, and what team is doing what or, or what our kids have been a part of. And John shows us that if we really want to get down to the important things, we need to just get ourselves into uh, what God's Word is talking about. And that's what he does. He says, let me just tell you about the Gospel. Let me just talk to you about Jesus Christ. You live in a time, First uh, John uh, recipients, where uh, Christianity is under attack. And so if Christianity is under attack, do we have the time uh, to sit and have a small talk? We got to get down to the core of the issue. And that's exactly what he does. He says that which was from the beginning. He wants to get right to the core of the matter. And the first thing I want you to see in regards to what is true Christianity is the following. True Christianity is experienced. It is experienced through the person of Jesus Christ. It's experienced through the person of Jesus Christ. If there is one thing that you take away from the opening thoughts of what John is sharing, it is the following. Christianity is not a system of thought or of doctrine. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity, at the very core of who it is, it is Jesus Christ. Malcolm Muggeridge uh, has said it correctly that Christianity is Christ or nothing. It is Christ or nothing. You're not a part of a religion. You're not a part of a teaching. You are a part of a person and that person is Jesus Christ. That's what your Christianity is all about. Without Christ, there is no Christianity. Without Christ, there is no church. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear. Jesus Christ is not the conduit by which we receive Christianity. Jesus is everything when it comes to Christianity. Now, John wants to establish quickly uh, the importance of the centrality of Christ when it comes to our faith. Remember, the false teachers are not denying the importance of Jesus. They're not saying that Jesus isn't, you know, hey, you don't have to worship Jesus. You don't have to praise Jesus. They're not saying that. 
What they're doing is, is they're saying, if you want to get to a greater end, if you want to pursue a greater purpose, then you do that by going through Jesus. In essence, Jesus was the middleman to the secret of wisdom in life. And that's the same thing that we see today. People don't have a problem with Jesus. Their problem with Jesus is when you say he is the way, the truth, and the life. They don't have a problem if you say, I am finding my way to true contentment in life and true purpose in life, and I'm finding it through my avenue, and that avenue is Christianity or Jesus. And that's what the world in our pluralistic society is saying. It's saying, as long as you don't say Jesus is the only way, then we're okay. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or the teachings of Buddha or Hinduism or Islam. It doesn't matter uh, as long as you find your way and I find my way uh, that, that really those are just conduits to uh, meeting the big light at the end of the tunnel, uh, to the great consciousness that we're all looking for. I want to make this abundantly clear. True Christianity uh, doesn't go through Jesus. It is Jesus. Philippians chapter uh, 3, uh, if you want to turn there just for a moment, if you're in 1 John, go to your um, left for a moment uh, to the small book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul articulates what our Christianity must look like in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is what Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says the pinnacle of his Christianity is to know Jesus Christ. Is that your Christianity this morning? To know Jesus Christ? To know all of Jesus Christ? Is your Christianity the kind of Christianity that says, I consider everything else rubbish if only I can attain to Jesus Christ? That I can live for Him? That I can die for Him? That I can suffer with Him? That is the type of faith that John is articulating. Now John wants to separate it early on in this book true Christianity, and false Christianity. To do so, he speaks about the eternal timelessness of Christ in the gospel. He says in the opening phrase, that which was from the beginning. I believe this is a shot to the false teachers of their day. And what he's saying is, hey, you proclaim and you teach this new fangled thought, this new idea. In essence, you are bringing forth a new Coca-Cola. But I'm going to tell you, I know the original I've been there. You talk about Jesus, I walked with Jesus. And he says, that which was from the beginning. This isn't a new thought. This is something that has been around before the beginning of time because that is where Christ was. 
And so in this opening phrase, we're reminded of two very important truths that we must remember as we experience true Christianity in the person of Christ. Number one, it reminds us of the eternal existence of Christ. The eternal existence of Christ. I told you last week that I believe the author of 1 John, while there's some speculation on who the author is, that I believe it to be the Apostle John. And one of the reasons why is how he starts the book. It's the same way that he starts the book of the Gospel of John. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to the Gospel of John chapter 1. He starts in 1 John saying, "...that which was from the beginning." But then in our text, in in the Gospel of John, he articulates the following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Notice again that that the writer here, the gospel writer, doesn't have any kind of small talk. He gets right down to business. And in a very similar way, both passages of Scripture talk about this idea of Christ being in the beginning. That which was from the beginning was Christ. It was the gospel of Christ's redemptive work to mankind. And here, what is articulated in 1 John is a reminder to those who are falling prey to the false teaching that Jesus Christ is eternal. He always has been and He always will be. Now notice what it says in verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, John says in this letter, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, why would this be so important? Because the doctrines that were being taught on that uh, during those days was that Jesus Christ wasn't deity. One of the doctrines of that day was that Jesus Christ was just a man. There was a false teacher during that day and a contemporary of John's who found himself articulating that Jesus came to a new level of consciousness and that he wasn't Jesus the Christ until his baptism. And so Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph. He was uh, the son of Joseph and lived to be a carpenter. And because of his holiness and because of God's good pleasure, that when he entered into the Jordan River with the help of John the Baptist, that when he came out of the water, Jesus was no longer just a man, but now he was the Messiah, the Christ. And so what John is saying is, is, hey, this doctrine, this idea that Jesus isn't truly God, the eternal God, let me tell you something. This word of life was with God in the beginning, and it has appeared to us. So he articulates the importance of the eternal nature of God. This is so important that John addresses this twice in his letter. Notice with me First uh, John chapter 2. Verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. What he's saying there is, hey, he denies the relationship that Jesus has with the Father, that they are equal and one. No one denies the Son has a Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so there's this denial of this relationship, this eternal relationship within the Godhead between Jesus Christ the Son and God the Father. Now notice, he doesn't just say, hey, let me just tell you about the deity and the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. But he also articulates the importance of Christ's earthly appearance. Not just his uh, eternal existence, but the earthly appearance. Notice what he says again in verse 2. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. There's the deity and the eternality of Jesus Christ, but also that which has appeared to us. So what he says is this Jesus isn't just deity, but he also is human. He's fully divine. He's fully human. Now, why would he address that? Because there is another set of false teachers, and they were called docetism. It was the, the way of thinking was docetism or docetists. And the idea was, is the uh, Greek word doikian, that Greek word meant it seems. That's literally what it would mean in the English. And these docetists would believe or did believe at that time during John's life that Jesus, while he was God... They disagreed with the other false teachers that Jesus was God, but he wasn't human. And so what they would say is that Jesus seemed to be human. And they would teach that Jesus was this phantom or this uh, holograph uh, that they could see. And they thought he was real, but he really wasn't. If you've ever been down to Springfield, uh, one of the greatest uh, things to go see if you're an Abraham Lincoln fan is the Abraham Lincoln Museum. And one of the great uh, exhibits there is a hologram uh, that is done, uh, probably a 12 or 13 minute uh, show uh, where this guy walks through the history uh, of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln. And, and it looks like he's standing right there. You, you can reach out and touch him until he disappears at the end. I hope I didn't ruin it for you. And it looked like he was there. He was talking to me, but he disappears. These docetists believe that Jesus appeared. Yes, he was God. He was eternal with God, but he did not uh, take on flesh. And so notice what John says in regards to what true Christianity must look like. He says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I know Jesus, I walked with Jesus, and I'm going to tell you what I am aware of. And through that, he validates true Christianity. Notice what verse 1 says. He starts by using an argument from the lesser to the greater, and he starts with this, which we have heard. And what does he mean by that? What he's saying is, is, you tell me that Jesus is a phantom. Let me tell you what I know of my Jesus. Jesus is one who is validated by his teaching. He was validated by his teaching. John is reminding the people and us today that Jesus was the master teacher, that which we have heard. He is no doubt remembering what he penned in John chapter 7 verse 46 that even Christ's enemies would say, never has a man spoken the way that this man speaks. 
Even Jesus' enemies had to give him props when it came to the kind of teaching and authority that Jesus had, that he would stump the rabbis of his day, and yet the sinners and tax collectors around him would yearn to hear him speak and preach the word of eternal life. He is such a great teacher, his impact still teaches people, or his teaching still impacts people today. Even those who don't follow Christ, even those who have mixed and matched Christianity with all kinds of new age things will still go and say, Jesus Christ is one of the greatest teachers of our day. We've heard. Notice he then goes on and he says, uh, that which we have seen with our eyes. John is reminding us that Christianity is validated through the life of Jesus Christ and his miracles. He says, hey, I want you to understand something, false teachers, and I want you to understand, church, that I saw Jesus. I lived with Jesus. And not only did he walk the face of the earth, but he did some pretty incredible things. 35 different times in the Gospels, there is a recorded miracle that takes place. John is sitting there, and what he's saying is, is people of 1 John, people of Village Bible Church, I walked with him. I talked with him. I ate with him. I, I, I slept next to him. I laughed with him. I, I didn't even just do those things, but I, I saw him turn water into wine. I saw him take a couple of loaves and fishes, and I saw him begin to multiply that to feed 5,000 hungry people. I saw him walk on water. I saw him heal uh, many people. He says, I I saw him live, and not just live a good life, but live a perfect life. I saw him interact with his enemies. I saw how he loved the unlovable. He says, I've been there, and I've seen it with my eyes. This was no phantom. Uh, This was uh, no figment of my imagination. I saw him, and I know what I've seen. But notice what he goes on and says next, which we have looked at. You would say, okay, he's got a little bit of a stuttering problem. What John is saying is that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have then looked at. Well, those are two very important phrases to distinguish between. This is not a repetition between that and the previous phrase, but the word looked in the Greek literally means a careful and deliberate vision which interprets an object. And what that means is that he gets an understanding, a focused understanding of who Jesus Christ was. This wasn't something that he just said, yeah, I saw him from a distance and and I was a, a part of some of the cool things he did. But in essence, he began to focus in and really begin to interpret who is this Jesus. He's different than I am. And notice what, what is articulated here. He focuses it on this Jesus. And I think what he's speaking to, I may be speculating a bit, but being the author of this book and the author of first uh, of the Gospel of John, we know that he says that uh, the Word became flesh, John 1.14, and he made his dwelling among us. That's the idea of touching Jesus and being with Jesus. But then he goes on and he says, we beheld his glory. It's the same word there in First John. We saw his glory. We've looked upon his glory. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to behold his glory? Well, First Peter says that we have seen his glory made manifest. Well, when would they have seen that? It would have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
When Jesus reveals himself and his glory, remember Jesus is there and, and he is lifted to a high place and he is there with Elijah and Moses and, and they reveals his glory to the point that they fall to their faces and they say, let us build uh, tabernacles around you. Uh, their glory shone around them. John says, not only is this a great teacher, not only is he a miracle worker, But I saw his glory. This is no phantom. This is no enlightened teacher. This is Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Notice he says next, and our hands have touched. This phrase here is the same phrase that is used with Jesus after the resurrection. He tells them, and at the end of the book of the Gospel of John, as he walks in uh, into a locked room, he walks through, comes through the wall, and he stands there and he says, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. He says, touch them. See, this is not, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. See where they put the nails in my hands. See where they put the nails in my feet. And this is a reminder that John is articulating to the people, I have seen the risen Jesus. And John had the ability to say that because where was John when Christ was dying on the cross? At the foot of the cross. He says, I saw him hanging on that cross. I saw him there. And then three days later, he's walking through walls and he's saying, touch me, feel me, look at my hands, look at my feet. This is no enlightened thought or enlightened teacher. This isn't some phantom. Even Jesus himself does. Does a ghost have flesh and bone? He says, I've been there. I touched him. And he's just like touching my flesh because he is God incarnate. He is God in flesh. So what does all this mean? What does this opening phrase of this incredible book mean? True Christianity, please hear me this morning, true Christianity is faith that Jesus Christ, first of all, is the God-man who validated his Messiahship through his teaching, his life, his miracles, and he revealed his glory that he is the one and only Son of God by dying on a cross, being buried in a grave, and three days later being resurrected from the dead. That's Christianity. It's not following a preacher. It's not pursuing a a new wisdom or a secret to the purpose of life. It is a person, the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced Jesus, you have not experienced true Christianity. Number two, true Christianity is revealed through the proclamation of others. We get the foundation. That's the core of the message this morning. Get the foundation. That which we have heard and seen with our eyes and looked at and touched. If we don't experience Jesus, then we can't experience true Christianity. And then it moves to how it is revealed. While it's easy for John to talk about Christ with such certainty, what about us? Have we seen? Have we touched Have we looked upon? Have we felt? No, we haven't. And so what does that mean? Do we, before we come to know Christ, are are we given uh, a a, a one-on-one opportunity to meet Jesus? 
When you came to know Christ, did Christ come down from heaven and, and, and come and, and, and as a man and say, hey, Tim, how are you? I'm Jesus. And, and, and I want you to see the, the hands in my hands, or the holes in my hands and my feet. That's because I died on the cross for you. And, and let me show you some miracles. Let me, let me show you who I am because uh, to believe me, you have to see all these things. Well, no, that's not what happens. Well, how do we become a part of true Christianity? It is through the proclamation of others. I want to see a show of hand. How many people came to know Christ because someone told you about Jesus? How many? Okay. Someone told you about Jesus. Whether it was an evangelist or or your mom or dad or a sister or a brother or a preacher, someone told you about this. And true Christianity is revealed through a proclamation. We don't wait for Jesus to appear to us. He appears, he reveals himself first of all through his word and then through the proclamation of others in regards to Christ. So John proclaims to the people about the life that has appeared. Notice what he says. This we proclaim in verse 1, concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. It's a proclamation. Well, what would John be proclaiming? John is proclaiming his experience. What we proclaim to is not just a set of historical facts. When someone comes and says, hey, uh, I'm struggling with uh, this, that, or the other thing. I'm grieving right now. I I can't find peace in my life. We don't say, let me tell you about Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus, historians tell us that he lived. He was a contemporary uh, of many historical figures in, uh, in first century Palestine. We don't say that, but our what we articulate is our experience. When I don't have peace, I turn to Jesus, my friend. When I don't have joy, I turn to Jesus. When the issues of this world uh, fall upon me, I, I turn to Jesus. Why? Because what we are articulating is what we've experienced through Jesus. Does that mean we don't give a historical record? No, we do. But most, most often, the gospel is not a resuscitation of fact, but it's of an experience. We proclaim that which we have seen and heard. Well, what had John seen? He had seen the realness of Christ's love. John had seen Jesus weep over lost people. He had seen Christ's compassion, and he had seen how he had cared for even the small children that came his way. He loved people. And it would be this love that would change and revolutionize this apostle. Because he would become the apostle of love. The second half of this letter is all about love. Love God. Love one another. Live out the new command that I give you. Love one another. And so in regards to this, John has experienced the love of Jesus Christ. He has seen the realness of it. He says, I've been a part of it. Jesus loved like no one had ever loved before. A woman, he writes in his gospel, is caught in adultery. And people are ready to stone her. And that's what they should have done. But Jesus comes and he stops and silences those that wanted to kill her by writing some words in the ground. And the stones began to drop. 
And he looks at that young woman and he could have condemned her. He was perfect. But he looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. John had experienced the love of Jesus Christ. Notice next, he had seen the fullness of Christ's power. John had been there. He had been a disciple who had seen not only the love of Christ, but he had seen the power of Christ. Now we've talked about the miracles, and I won't go there again, but what John has experienced subsequently from walking with Jesus Christ is Christ's power in him. Write down Acts chapter 3 and look sometime at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking in Jerusalem And a man comes to them begging for silver and gold, a beggar. And what do they say? Silver and gold we cannot give, but we can give you the name of Jesus. And this man is crippled. And he's able to stand and walk. And John must be floored by that idea. He says, not only have I seen the power of God where Jesus calmed the storms on the sea, but I've also seen Jesus' power at work in me. That I have been able to heal others. I've been able to drive out evil spirits. I don't know how it's done, but it's because I've been involved with this Jesus that his power lives in me. Notice the holiness that he sees of Christ's life. How can John say in this letter that we should love one another? How can he say that we should not fall to sin? How can he say that we should not love the world? How can he say that we have confidence before God? All of these things are written in John, First uh, John. How can he say this stuff? He can say it because not because he's attained to perfection, but because he's seen Jesus live that way. Love those who speak badly of you. Show love to those who want to hurt you. Give all that you have, and when you're weary of giving, give even more. Spend much time in prayer having confidence that God the Father hears and answers prayer. How did he see this? He saw it before his eyes, watching the holy life of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you can do this, believer. You can do this because Jesus has made a way. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to fall in love with the world to find pleasure and contentment. You can turn to Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us? What are we to make of this? It brings us to a very important point. What has John proclaimed? That which he has been a part of. We heard this morning that we are to be in Acts 1.8, God's witnesses to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What are we to proclaim notice what the text says it says the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life that word testify in verse 2 is the greek word that we get the word martyr from and it's different testify and proclaim while it sounds the same in the english are two completely different words in the greek what he's saying is is that which we have testified that which we have been a part of that has affected us, that has been involved with us. We've been there, we've seen it, we've watched it, we've been a part of it. That which we testify. And then he says this word proclaim. This word proclaim literally means a commission. Now that you've seen, now that you've heard about it, go and tell others. 
This word has this also an effect to it that it is to be done with boldness. Because you have seen it, because you're an eyewitness, because you have shared in it, now go share with boldness what you've been a part of. And so what does that mean? Write this in your outlines. We have the realness of Christ's love, the fullness of Christ's power, the holiness of Christ's life. And as we experience that, there's one final point that we uh, see within this uh, sub-point. And that is we must be touched by Christ before we can testify about Him. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you testified about Jesus Christ? That you articulated something about Christ. I'm blown away with the opportunities that come when we ask for them. You know my heart is for my hometown, the town that I live in. And I got a call uh, just a couple days ago. Uh, the secretary that worked at the Village Hall, a very beloved uh, woman uh, in the community, had passed away after a, a battle with an illness. And they didn't know me all that well, but they had heard that, that, I, that I was a preacher. And they heard that, and this guy preaches differently than, than a lot of these other preachers that we have around. We want him. And so they call me and, and they say, would you do the funeral? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. Praying that, that there would be people from my community that would hear the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many there were. The funeral was packed. The funeral home was packed. Uh, hallways, uh, they had chairs outlined. This lady was loved. And I, I could count over 10 of my close neighbors in the room. And I proclaimed not a resuscitation of facts, but how Christ has changed my life. How he, in the most difficult of times, has transformed me and made me like himself. That when I've pursued the answers for life, he's answered them. When I've looked for hope, he's given it to me. When I've tried to fulfill my joy with the things of this world, he's told me I find myself empty. But when I turn to Jesus Christ, I am made full. What are we to testify? Not just a bunch of facts about this Jesus but how he has touched us. You know what? I've been amazed that people don't have a problem at all in hearing a testimony. How has God changed your life? Can you go and tell people, I've seen Christ's power in my life? When I have found myself weak, he is strong. When I find myself down, in sin and struggling with the issues of this world, Christ, because of his word, lifts me up through the encouragement of other believers or the Holy Scriptures. What has Christ done in your life that you can go to others and tell them, I have been touched by Jesus. I am filled with Jesus. I am overwhelmed by Jesus. Have you seen Christ move in your life that you can tell others of what he has done? We cannot testify until we have been touched. Some of you are unable and you say evangelism isn't your spiritual gift, but you can talk about football and the greatest new fashions in the world or the great uh, new uh, gadgets in the world. And you can do it with all passion. You say, I'm just not a passionate individual. I will contend with you that it has nothing to do with passion. You just haven't been touched by Jesus in a long, long time. And because you haven't been touched by Jesus, there's nothing to talk about. But I will tell you, 
You give your life to Jesus and you start living for Christ, he'll give you something to talk about. He'll give you something to proclaim. That's what is seen in John. I got just a couple moments. I got to land this plane. Here's the final point. True Christianity is shared through a common purpose. Verses 3 and 4. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. End of verse 3. And verse 4 says, we write this to make our joy complete. What is true Christianity all about, my friends? It's about, first of all, a partnership with Jesus. It's about partnership. He says, we write these things to you so that you may have fellowship. Why have I told you about Jesus who was one with the Father before the beginning of time? So that you can have fellowship with him. Why is it that I've written to you that I've seen and I've touched and I've been a part of? So that you can have fellowship with him. I want you to have partnership with this Jesus. This Jesus I've walked with. This Jesus that did all kinds of amazing things. The Jesus that transformed my life. I want you to be a partner with him. What is evangelism all about? It is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I'm hungry, and I was thirsty, and I found Jesus. Now let me tell you about this Jesus. John writes and he says, I want you to be a partner with God. And the only way you can be a partner with God the Father is to know His Son. That's the first dimension of this partnership. But notice what it says as well. In the middle of verse 3, we proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. This idea here to have fellowship with us in, is, is very simply put, you go to a great movie and you get done or, or maybe it's the, it's the great football game that you saw. Or maybe it's something, a show you've been a part of and, and you say, this is, this was amazing. This is awesome. And the first thing you want to do is go and tell anybody you can to go and see it. Why? Because you want to expose them to the joy that you've had. Go see this thing. It's great. You'll love it. It's worth every penny. In fact, you know what? Why don't you and I go and be a part of it together? That's what Christianity is all about. We go to Christ and we're loved by God and, and, and we're uh, changed by Christ. And what should our response be? Let me go tell someone else. I've seen, I've heard, I've been a part of. Now I want to go find someone else, whoever will listen, because I want their joy to be complete. Because of our fellowship with God, we now can have the opportunity to have fellowship with one another. And this is what John is going to be addressing later on in this uh, letter. He's going to say, have communion with God. Be one with God. Be involved with God. But be involved with one another. We're going to learn more about fellowship. Notice the pleasure that is found in the Christian life. The pleasure that your joy There's a lot of contextual variances in this. Some of your translations may say, we write this to make your joy complete. Others will say that make our joy complete. Most commentators agree it doesn't matter whose joy it is because the idea there of completion is the idea that it spans for all people. Why do we do this? Because it is what brings us joy. It is what brings us contentment. It is what brings us the fullness of life. We have tasted And we have been proclaimed to about the eternal life that was made manifest 
through Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we can live for Him. And in living for Him, we don't no longer have to be burdened or heavy laden, but we can have joy and we can have light in ab- life in abundance when we walk in the light of light. It is only through Jesus Christ, it is only through true Christianity that you will find joy and you will find contentment. Because it is only in true Christianity that we find Jesus. I want you to close your Bibles and I want to close just with a couple questions. Are you involved in true Christianity? Not a religion or a state of mind or a Sunday morning appointment. What does your Christianity involve? Have you experienced Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? Have you seen Him with your eyes? Have you heard with your ears? Have you looked upon Him? Have you touched Him? Have you experienced Jesus? His love and His power and His holiness. Have you seen Him work in your life? What are you declaring to others? Are you partnered with them? Are you experiencing the joy amidst the most difficult of trials? If you have trouble answering these questions, then is it true Christianity you're a part of? That should grip our hearts, it should grip our minds, that we need to come back to that which was from the beginning. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that these opening verses would revolutionize the way that we understand our relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would experience your son. Lord, we're so casual in our churches and in our own Christian lives when it comes to experiencing Jesus. You've become a Sunday morning appointment to us. But Father, I pray for this church that we would experience him in a new and profound way. And that because we have heard and seen and touched, that we would then go and testify and proclaim. That we would do that so that others may partner with us in knowing what it means to be in fellowship with God. And to have joy. A joy that is complete. Father, we know that it's only through your Son. So let us experience Him. Take away the sin that would lead us away from that experience. So that we would know who your son is, and just like Paul, that we would know him in his suffering and in his death and his resurrection so that we may have life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.